0: Welcome to the Rural Pastor Podcast with your host, Andy Addison, special guest, Mark Clifton.
1: We plant the seeds in the ground, though the fields have long been brown. the Lord, when will your harvest come in? I'm giving all I've got to give in the place where I've been sent. But will my labor make much difference in the end? will no one ever know. Sometimes I feel so all alone. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken with a message of hope. That church on the corner of that forgotten little town To a room of empty piers where His love can still be found You may never know of all the seeds you sow But it just takes one willing soul to make Him
0: So good to be back with you on the Rural Pastor Podcast. My name is Andy Addis, and I'm the Volunteer Rural Strategist for the North American Mission Board Replant Team, and I'm here with our special guest. Hey, I'm Mark. Good to be with you each and every week, Andy. Love
2: it when we're sitting across the table from each other, looking each other face-to-face, because we are two really good-looking
0: guys. (laughs) You said everything true right up until the very end right <laughs> no, there.
2: No, man, Some of these podcasts are like virtual, you know. The guys are on their computers in their basement. Not us. We're sitting across a table, and you can just pull up a chair and join us right here. We're not going to let you talk, but you can listen. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
0: So. Well, and we're old school enough that we enjoy the face to face. We I do think. enjoy yeah. the face to face. That's and, true. And and literally, we are face to face with several of our podcast listeners at this point. Even though we're fairly new, this this marks episode eleven posted for and us. And they
2: said it wouldn't last. That's
0: right. We're all the way up to eleven. <laughs> but we're recording at the Replant Summit, and uh, it's been great because we've had I've had so many conversations with guys who have been listening and. are excited about the fact there's something just for rural guys it's really a lot of fun yeah, the replant
2: summit takes place the last part of august every year in alpharetta georgia suburban atlanta Uh, this year we have about 250 registered that are here and, uh, it's pastors and leaders of working through revitalizing churches, many of them in small towns and rural
0: settings. Mm. And and like I said, just connecting with them face to face, like you're talking about, what a, what a value. Okay. Well, today, uh, we're going to continue our journey with the rural pastor podcast where we want to pour into partner with and pat on the back, that rural pastor what you're doing is important, and we need you to know you're not alone in this process. We are working through some content. There is, uh, th- this is going to be a silly caveat, but yes. we've been working through the content of a book that we're calling Doing More Together, and it's the Crosspoint story. Uh, it ha- uh, Today got another notification that the designer has asked for an extension, so we are continuing this fictitious book that's not out there. It's going to be
2: so good. <laughs> because we're doing so many redesigns <laughs> it's just going to blow people's mind it when will, they see this thing won't i mean it's the content it's at all it's just going to be the design is going to be absolutely unlike anything i have no idea you but might, the, might get resaved we might get re-saved, but at least re-baptized. But the book, the book is coming,
0: right? It is. All right, it will be here. And you're getting a preview because we're rolling through a section of the book on some of the principles that we learned. Uh, the church that I have the privilege of pastoring is a rural multi-site network, and we learned several things—some positive, some negative. But we want to share them all with you. And today, the principle that we're talking about is the fact that DNA—the DNA—the culture of a church—it trumps personality. Yeah.
2: Well, let's say that again for the people in the back. The culture of your church trumps personality. That you're meaning by that, the pastor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so easy, especially in a normative size or a small church, for a pastor with a strong personality, strong leadership skills, to come in and and uh, everything. He's like the he's like the maypole. Everything revolves around him, and as long as he's there and in the right place, everything runs pretty well. And sometimes as pastors, we like that, because we like to be needed, we like to be important, we like to think like we're making a difference, and your people will let you do everything you do, and uh, and but yet you are so correct, my friend, that uh, the DNA, the culture of the church is really
0: more important than the individual leader at any particular time. And that culture that, that comes from, even if there is a charismatic and strong leader who has that kind of influence, if they hold it, then it's all about them. But if they embed it and let that become a part of the culture. Yes. So one of the, you know, I like to throw a question out for us to just start the discussion. Uh, Proud parent moments. Uh, Proud moments of uh, when you, either your church or your family, when you can see a little bit reproduced.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right now, uh, as we're speaking this, I was not in my pulpit Sunday. I was not at Linwood Sunday. That's my church, a little town of 400 in Linwood, Kansas. Um, and the church has only been uh, been going in its current form for about three years. It had closed down during COVID and was not going to reopen, and we came in, and, and God's done a real cool work there. So it's a relatively new rural church that's 100 years old. Does that make sense? Anyway, Absolutely. I was at the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove this weekend, preaching and teaching, and we have an associate pastor, and he was away as well. And so this Sunday, this past Sunday... In our church, we had a layman preach, Jim Forgey, and Jim's one of those guys that about every Sunday, I've had him read Scripture and lead in prayer and explain a little bit about what the Scripture means, and so when it came time for someone to preach, when Howie and I were gone, Jim could preach. I just just love that. It was just so encouraging. I didn't have to go outside, find somebody to come in. One of our guys could stand up and preach. That's where it doesn't all rise and fall on one pastor, on one leader. Even in a church, our church is only about fifty people.
0: Right. So even in a church that size, and it's so encouraging because you see that that growth is then it becomes ripples from the pebble that's thrown. Absolutely. In the My uh, youngest son is twenty-one. He's a senior in college, and he has stopped. Coming back home to church, he'd been driving a half an hour to come home, and uh, the reason that he stopped coming home is he got permission out of his dorm room. He is uh, doing college church, and he's inviting other students, and he's using the video resources, and he's pastoring uh, right there in his senior year. And I just couldn't be more pleased. That's to see awful it. So, great.
2: That that's cool, man. Well, and
0: when you see those things passed along, that's what we're talking about here. To say that DNA Trump's personality means that that you can't stand alone as a pastor and be the guy who throws on the Cape every time there's a need and you fly into every room that there's a crisis. It it needs to be transmitted to the rest of the congregation for it to be a meaningful and lasting thing. We use some language in this uh, last uh, couple of years with the pandemic about essential workers and I was labeled... Were you an essential worker? I was labeled an essential were worker. Were you
2: labeled an essential worker? I was.
0: I think I'm non-essential. They so let, uh, They let me out of quarantine so that I could uh, run no, around as an essential no, worker. No, as a pastor, we were essential. We could go and be essential. That's true. Well, we use that language, but the truth is, if we really embrace this principle, we're not so much essential workers as privileged. We're privileged to be a part of the work. And we have to remember, if we think of ourselves as essential to everything... Now, we are essential because we're called and God's got a role for us. But we never need to forget that it is a privilege for okay. us to do, for us to do what we need to do, right? And and in that, that's where I want to take this conversation. Um, in 2009, part of the story that you'll see in the the book, I had brain surgery, and here's spoiler alert: I survived. You did. I did. Okay, good. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was the, the reason they call it brain surgery. And when people say, "Well, it's not brain surgery," it's because when it is, it's a pretty serious deal, right? That's right. Uh, so I was out for a while. As a matter of fact, I was out for eighteen weeks. And uh, that's a significant portion of a a year for a a growing church. And I was scared to death. Man, things are going to fall apart. It's going to come off the rails. Oh, my goodness. But what happened was after 18 weeks, my first meeting back, my first day back, was a regular Sunday. Then that night we had a business meeting. Isn't that a horrible thing to come back to? The very first thing. very first thing. But that night what they did is they adopted two replants. They established a brand new campus, and they hired a campus pastor that I had never met. So, so
2: you've before. been gone for eighteen weeks, and not just like on a cruise, right? No, you you were. It was life and death for a while. Yeah. No one really knew. So it was a very tragic, very difficult time in the life of your church. But rather than everything going on hold, just freezing, they kept right on doing
0: what their DNA got them to do. They, as, the culture of the church continued, even though you weren't there. As a matter of fact. We have never grown that much <laughs> outside of that time. That was the most exponential quarter we have ever had in the life of the That's church. That's crazy true. So, so it's a little humbling for sure, but a whole lot of Jesus. And we just love this. So I want to take just a second and kind of go through some things. How do, you, how do you do what you need to do, be the pastor, the strong lead, to, to establish vision, to, to be that mosaic leader out in front? and yet not make it all about you in other words right. to uh, not foster dependency on the leader right and that's that's again Your congregation will let you do
2: that. Mm -hmm. They will and sometimes in a rural congregation, particularly, they encourage that. Mm -hmm. They want you to be their chaplain. They want you, you know, that that's the whole thing. And they'll be very happy if you do just about everything and they'll let you do it. In fact, they may call you blessed. Oh, you're such a great pastor. You do so much for us, and they list all the things you do. And pretty soon you begin to feel like you really are that important. Mm -hmm. And it really does all rise and fall on you. And when you get to that point, You've got to take a step back and say, no, it's what am I doing, as you said, what am I doing to invest myself in other people? What am I doing to make sure that I'm, I'm reproducing myself in other people? And what am I doing to make sure that the culture of this church can will continue even after I'm gone and will do even better? I, I've I planted a lot of churches in my life. Mm. Um, I don't want to say that a majority of them, I was a I was a serial church planter,
0: okay, <laughs> kind of like a serial
2: <laughs> yeah, killer. Yeah, <laughs> because back in the day, in my job, you know, I, it was an actual job uh, from from the denominational standpoint. I was to go to a place that didn't have a church, get something started, and then you know, within a couple three years, hand it off to a, another guy, then go plant another one. And so I did that a number of times, and and about half of those um, just just kind of after I left, they've just struggled and lamed and and you know, but. But a few of them, later on, as I learned more of what I was supposed to do, have done immensely well after I'm gone. That's awesome. And when they do immensely well after you're gone, it is because you helped them learn how to do things you didn't do it for them. And uh, so I, I have personal response, personal experience at that, and I can tell you from my standpoint, seeing those churches that are, that are doing so well after I left, is the greatest joy in my ministry.
0: Well, and that's going to be the scripture that we close with in a moment. John talks about seeing his children walk in the right way, and, 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 I, and I want to echo that. But I'm also hearing in what you just said there, using some key words, that this is how I want to round out this conversation. I believe that there are four Ds. And they all have to start with the same letter because we're Baptist pastors. That's right. right. We're old Baptist pastors. That's right. So, so everything's alliterative or it ain't truth. Uh, well, the first one is actually the only negative. The other three get us away from this, and we've already talked about it. It's dependency. If you don't do anything different other than be a pastor, if you, I mean, if you run to every need and you put out every fire and you uh, make sure that you've voluntold your kids to fill in where uh, where the church has fallen down, uh, then you will foster dependency. Right. And, and that that's just going to happen but we want to move away from that and here are the three d's we'll talk about them in succession but i'll give them to you ahead of time to disciple Uh which leads to develop Uh which then leads to deploy there you go and so if you want to get away from we we don't just want to say well quit doing that Uh, right (laughs) here's how we stop it (laughs) here's how we get away from that uh, pastoral dependency the first thing is that we disciple And, and when we say this We disciple everyone. This is the plan uh, that that we have to have for making disciples in the church. And making disciples needs to go beyond just preaching every Sunday. Oh, absolutely. So uh, when it comes to this, this is the wide net that we cast. Uh, What advice do you have for some pastors for developing some kind of discipleship?
2: I think if you have a relatively small church, you should count yourself fortunate, because Mm -hmm. you have a much easier time discipling. You can start with a few people a lot easier than if you got 500 coming on Sunday morning. You can be a lot more organic in your discipleship. I think you have to understand the discipleship does not take place in a Sunday school class. Mm -hmm. It it, it can, but long-term, it's not really discipleship. It's really instruction. It's fellowship. It's beneficial? Absolutely. Is it discipleship? No, not really discipleship doesn't even take place, I don't think, in a group of 10 or 12 in a home group once a week. Hmm. Again, that's fellowship and Bible study. Discipleship is when one or two or three of us gather together. So good. And we do it sort of organically, you think about if you want to be a hunter, you want to be a fisherman. You know you don't. You really want to learn how to trout fish. So you hang out with some guys who trout fish. So you just go with them when they trout fish, and you watch how they do how they do it. And they tell you, and they you try it. And then when you go eat get something to eat, or you go to coffee. You're talking about trout fishing, and you don't say, "Okay, we're going to do trout fishing from four o'clock to five o'clock on Thursday afternoons." You know, you talk. It's just who you are. You just learn from each other, and so it's all about the gospel. It's all about Christ, and it's all about trying to find. Uh, it's a time to be with, if you're a pastor, to be with another guy in your church and just invest your life in him, take him with you when you go to meetings, spend time with him, talk about the gospel, talk about your testimony, talk about what Jesus is doing in your life, and just read Scripture together, pray together, and let him, let him grow, it's help you grow as you help him grow. Mm. I'm going to tell you something, Andy. I think there are a lot of pastors who've never been in a true discipleship relationship. That's right. They've been in the classroom. They've been in the
0: classroom. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know what we're talking about. And, And that is really the key. What you're saying is that discipleship is never doing anything alone. Right? There you go. You just take them if you're going to make a hospital visit, or you're going to go pick up stuff, errands for the church. Yep. Just take somebody with you. Absolutely. And so discipleship is is that everybody, everybody in the church needs to be disciple. We, as a matter of fact, as a church, because we do have the problem of having a larger base of people, mm-hmm. uh, we had had like this uh, three tier plan with six mile markers, and you walk through this, but it was so linear mm-hmm. that like if you don't start at the beginning, how do you get somebody started? So right. a couple years ago, we changed our definition of discipleship i'm I'm gonna throw it at you see what you think all right go ahead it is to point someone in the direction of jesus and walk with them towards him there you go
2: that's it i think that's it it is you know when 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 a teenager gets in trouble and we've all been pastors as pastors we've all had that call from a parent said oh you got to pray for my boy he's he got expelled (laughs) and you know and the next thing mom says is he's been hanging out with the wrong crowd Well, he's been discipled by the wrong crowd. Discipleship is you become like the people you hang out with. Mm -hmm. And so just, yes, giving people on ramps to do life together, to hang out together— encouraging that and then when you gather at church give opportunities to, to to bless those kinds of relationships to highlight those relationships even in your preaching you know if you hear of a couple of guys who are and a couple of ladies who are doing some good discipleship throughout the week oh, yeah. man, blow share that up. blow that up mm-hmm. we need to highlight that this is important this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus to not be doing it alone and to be doing it with someone
0: just walking with them towards there you go. walking with them towards the lord and and you don't have to do all this when you're we're talking about getting away from the dependency of the leader you're telling everybody in the congregation to do exactly. this exactly you know the, the young women uh, are trained up by the older women if you right. read titus 2 young right. men by the older men and and we do this so that so everybody gets discipled. but as we move away from dependency the next step is that not everybody but most disciples get developed Mm -hmm. in some area. Mm -hmm. And developing isn't necessarily a spiritual issue, except for the fact that everything is spiritual. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is in addition to your discipleship, what are the things that need to be developed that have to get done around the church right. and in the ministry? And so, this is that place where you pick out people. Maybe they're gifted in worship, or maybe they're gifted in uh, pastoral care, or maybe they're gifted in facilities. Now, we bring them along and develop these disciples. Discipleship comes first, and development comes on top of that, so that we're raising up a group of people who are caretakers of the different arenas and ministries in the and church. And
2: it always starts, Andy, with small tasks on a limited basis for a limited time. I mm. think, you You know, when you go to a guy and say, hey, will you do this, like, from now for forever, but he goes, hey, will you you be able to help me do this for a couple of weeks, and let's see how... And by that way, you're also sort of testing the waters with him as well. In fact, as a pastor, I would oftentimes kind of create simple tasks just to see if these individuals were willing to do it and how well they would do it. And one of the ways we found small group leaders is we would put—and you don't have to do this. Everybody's got different ideas. I'm not suggesting this is a magic bullet. But we would actually, you know, kind of encourage—in fact, we're doing it now at Linwood. Myself and four other guys went through an an eight-week Bible study for men— then we just simply said, "Hey, if if you would like to do this Bible study, just sign up, drop this in the box on the way out and we'll we'll follow up with you." So what you do is you do it with four guys, and you find one of those guys who's going to he's always there. Mm. He's first, he's read it. He's excited about it. That's the leader for the next group. That's so good. Okay. Yeah. So that's the one that's the leader for the next. The other three guys are okay too, but there's one guy maybe that really that's the lead. That's how you find the leader for the for the next group. Stuff and, like that.
0: And as you do that, what you're doing is you're you're actually then giving them opportunity. Uh, and as you yes. give them opportunity to spread their wings, and there there're going to be some fails, there're going to sure. be some difficulties, and that's why you're there to help right. pick them up. But we talked about this on a recent episode. Once you're discipling somebody and you're helping them move towards Jesus, the development aspect is not that hard. Whatever you're doing, you do it and let them watch. Right. Then you do it together. Right. Then they do it while you watch until right. they're ready to do right. it on their own.
2: And we're talking to rural pastors primarily. Right. And most of the rural pastors, well, listen, first of all, among Southern Baptist churches, 50% of them have less than 70 in gathered worship. mm 50%, less than 70 I thought, It used to be 90 is it now down to 70 It's down to 70 Okay. Yeah, Rainer was telling, uh, COVID, you know, 30% mm. didn't come back. So Rainer, Tom Rainer, Dr. Rainer told us the other day in the research is now it's 70 Gosh. The median is 70 Okay. So, you know, that's about where we are at, at Linwood. And and the reality of it is, and one of the really joys of a Normandy-sized church is, you know, a church that runs 70 or 50, 40, that includes kids, You know, you don't have to be the most gifted leader to do something in that church, right? That's right. I mean, it's just—I don't mean to say we want to have anything that's not quality— but you understand what I'm saying.
0: Well, we have a phrase that my staff hates that I use, but, but I use it all the time, and I think we've joked about it before, but uh, in rural work, mm-hmm. excellence is relative.
2: Excellence is relative.
0: <laughs> it's still excellence. You're doing everything you can. It, but,
2: yeah, but in the terms of what it looks like in a church of 40 people in a town of 400, it looks a little different than a church of 4,000 people in a city of 4 million.
0: And it's not just that that's okay. That's great. Exactly. It's great. All right, so now we're almost there. We're moving away from fostering dependency on a leader by discipling everyone, developing most. We disciple them by pointing them towards Jesus, spending time with them, never doing ministry alone. We develop them by kind of that apprenticing model. Just give them a shot, and as you do, let them watch you. Do it together, and then you watch them, and, and you do that. But then we finally come to the third element, to foster dependency or to get away from that. We disciple, we develop... And then we deploy, right? And deploy. By the way, this is why when people say, "Well, you're too busy. You need to delegate." That is not an immediate fix to anything because you have to <laughs> disciple and <laughs> develop. Yes. Uh, but, yes, but yes, but once you get here, then we get a yes, little bit of a break. That's,
2: that's the whole money shot for this whole whole podcast. Don't just delegate until you disciple and develop. That's it. It'll be a train wreck many times. Well, it'll make things worse. It will. And then you'll quit delegating altogether, which is what I hear guys do all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't understand. I've tried delegating and it all messed up. Well, that's because you didn't disciple and develop. It takes time to do that. It can take years to disciple and develop. But if you really do that, then you get to the place you really can deploy and you can deploy with confidence. And you look at the apostle Paul, man, I mean, that guy, I mean, he was traveling. I don't even want to begin to talk about how difficult it was travel in those days. But he, the travel he did, the difficulty of that, all the adversity, and he'd go into these cities where nobody knew Jesus. He'd show up at the synagogue, he'd preach Jesus, he'd plant a church, and all, And he, he could have just spent his whole ministry going from town to town to town and just preaching and preaching and preaching. But you can read his letters and you know that his heart and his passion was what? It was to disciple, to develop, and to deploy. That's right. And that's what we ought to be about, too.
0: Amen and amen. And when that takes place, when you get to the deploy, the deploy is all about... Releasing, and that means that sometimes this is going to be really hard for the for some of us as pastors. That sometimes people are going to actually like their sermons better than they like yours, <laughs> and they're going to like the way they lead worship better than you lead worship. And and it's okay because God is growing them up and using them and and reminding you that you're not the rock star Jesus. Well, here's
2: another to. thing I have to do. Uh, I'm a this will be really surprised to to you, but uh, I'm a very opinionated person. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'm just guffaw. I have the, no idea. And the older I get, the more opinionated I get. I, I have a tendency <laughs> to be rather curmudgeonly in my old age. I was curmudgeonly as a high schooler, but anyway, my wife helps me understand this. You know, maybe somebody will be leading worship, leading music, or or doing something, and I'm just not comfortable with it. It just I'm I, I and so I'm I'm. Kind of maybe have a critical spirit, like it should be done differently, mm. uh, or maybe someone will be speaking or leading something or teaching, and I'll be thinking, ah, they missed that point, and you know, maybe that, that that's a little that little tick they've got there is a little an- annoying to me, and I, and Jill will tell me, just look around you, mm. are people worshiping? are people engaged? That's right. You know, it isn't really, Mark, about what you think it ought to be. (laughs) Is the Holy Spirit working in this person in these lives? And that is an We can't, because I know all of us, we lead worship, we preach, we teach. Somebody gets up there and they don't do it the way we do it. It's so easy in our critical spirit to say, I would do it this way, I would stand like this, I would say like that, I would frame it like that. But just step back and say, and look around you, And you can see if people are truly worshiping. You can see if people are truly engaging in the message. And that's what you want to happen.
0: And don't you hate it? I mean, you love it and hate it. I'm going to go back 30 seconds on what you just said. When the Holy Spirit speaks directly through your wife. Oh, he
2: does all the time. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes, he does. The Holy Spirit has a very feminine voice in my life.
2: Yeah, he speaks to my wife
0: constantly. Same, same, same. Okay, so here's what we've done. We have looked at the fact that in our churches, our leadership, we should be strong leaders. We should we should want to be characterized by our people as somebody worth following.
2: Well, I, I want to say that, really, Andy, only a strong leader can disciple, develop, and deploy. Mm. So, I mean, don't think that is a weakness in leadership. Actually, a weak leader doesn't do any of that they, because he's threatened by it
0: all. They keep themselves on the pedestal.
2: Uh, if I go to a church, I don't care if it's a church of—I remember, well— Richard Blackaby told me this story. It um, was a church in deep trouble, and uh, it was a church of, of 150, 100 people, 150 or 200 people. It wasn't you know down to nothing, but they were in some difficulty. And so they asked Richard to come in. So he said, I just went into worship service, and he said, you know, the preacher gave the announcements. The preacher
0: read the Scripture.
2: <laughs> the preacher preached. The preacher did the benediction. And he said, so afterward we went to lunch, and the preacher was just saying that, you know, this church is in a mess and everything, and and Richard just said, I noticed you did everything. And he said, yes. He said, I, I really have to. I don't have anybody here who's really capable of doing anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, he, and he'd been there for five years. That's a weak, insecure leader. If yeah. you've been there for five years and nobody can do anything... That's not on the church. That's not on the church. Yeah. And, and you've got to take a serious look at that and see if, if that is who you are or not. And a strong leader develops and deploys. A and weak if, leader holds on to everything.
0: And if that's you today and you've been there five, ten years and you make the same statement, this is not, this is not that moment. There's the difference between conviction and guilt. Guilt comes from the devil. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. We've
2: all been there. dude. And s- I have to battle it all the time. I want to mm. do
0: everything. And so what we do is we recognize it in that moment. It goes, this exactly. is God, God giving me the opportunity to right. shift gears and make this about his church and not my church. There you go. So that's it, guys. How do we uh, get away from fostering dependency on a leader? We disciple all, we develop most, and we deploy some uh, in in many different ways. What uh, we heard Mark allude to earlier, we see in Third John uh, verses uh, one through four. It says this: "The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, and indeed." you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We as pastors should love it when we see the church around us succeed and other churches succeed too, but we're going to get to that because next week we're talking about partnerships being essential. Should be a lot of fun. So thank you, Mark, so much for joining us here today. We are going to continue on our journey here. What a great episode this has been. And we just can't encourage you enough to please comment, be a part of this community, and share the podcast with others. Many blessings. We look forward to seeing you again real soon on the next edition of the Rural Pastor Podcast.
1: Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying end. church on the corner of that forgotten little town, to a room of empty piers where his love can still be found. You may never know of all the seeds you've sown, but it just takes one willing soul to make him known.
0: Thank you so much for joining us at the theruralpastorpodcast.com. A special thanks to Chosen Road for this incredible theme music, to 180 Digital, our corporate sponsor. And you can check out both of them at our website as well as other resources because you're not alone. And Rural Pastor, we believe in you at theruralpastorpodcast.com.